Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. Tonight's episode of Radical Research is brought to you by Evil Twin and Westbrook Brewing's Imperial Stout OFYMD. Brewed with pineapple and coconut, it's a taste your buds will not believe. Evil Twin and Westbrook Brewing, unpack the awesome. Okay. (laughs) Actually, this podcast is not at all brought to you by those fine brewers. We just wanted to live out a fantasy of Radical Research actually being sponsored by such a godly beer. So... Anyway, Hunter, how have you been? I actually have a really good friend that I believe is responsible for Westbrook's first sour. He, uh, he brews here in town now. Now, um, see, when I came up with that nonsense at the beginning, I did not know this. Yep. He, um, he was a brewer for Westbrook for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. He was on the yeah. sour train. Yes. Year, years before it became such a popular thing. Uh, I'm, I'm well, Jeff. Thank you for asking. How are you? <laughs> I'm quite well. I'm ready to talk about this Swedish band called Afflicted. Are you? I'm ready to talk about them. You've heard of them, right? Well, you're passing familiarity. <laughs> We're going to go to Sweden. You know, regular listeners of the show are familiar with our, they're familiar with our love, our absolute deep, deep passion for things Scandinavian. And um, while we talk a lot of Norway on this show, I think we, t- we could probably talk as much Sweden, really. Probably. And this band, Afflicted, are dear to our hearts. Do you remember when you first heard Afflicted? I'm going to assume it was Prodigal Son, but you could correct it, Yeah, no, it was Prodigal Son. Um, yeah, uh, Eula Garrett reviewed Prodigal Son for, in, in Maniacs. No, no, he didn't. Uh, Borboy did, actually, and compared it to a bit to Atrocity and Atheist. He said it fell a little short of those high standards, but he still you know, thought it was a young band doing something really adventurous, and it was enough for me to buy it. Yeah. They formed in um, 1988 as a band called Afflicted Convulsion in Stockholm. And they put out three demos under that name. They weren't that good or remarkable, quite honestly. And I I think if they had kind of followed that trail, uh, we wouldn't be talking about them right now. Probably not. Have you spent much time with these? They're kind of immature and aimless, really. Yeah, they are. Yeah. The third demo, they started to sound a bit darker, a bit deadlier, a bit sturdier. But you can kind of tell where their heads were at when they were young. I mean, they were, they were teens when they formed. It was, you know, they had titles like Obnoxious Words, which is a great <laughs> Unintentionally funny, I think. Uh, parental, parental Infanticide, that's kind of silly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Afflicted Convulsion members that remained after they changed their name to Afflicted ought to be mentioned because they kind of run through the entire Afflicted story, as short as it is. Um, this band did have a short career. And those members were Jesper Thorsen, Joachim Carlson, and Yasin Hilborg. And Thorsen and Carlson were guitarists, and Hilborg was a drummer. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they changed their name to Afflicted, rehear- uh, recorded a rehearsal tape, and then they parted ways with their first vocalist, a guy named Martin Holm. In came Mr. Joachim Brahms. We will talk a lot about him coming up here. Their bassist, Frederick Ling, remained in the band for a little while longer, and then came in Philip von Segebaden to round out what we're going to call the classic lineup. And we'll get to why that is in a bit. Right. But good goddamn, are we glad Brahms came in as a vocalist or what? Oh, yeah. He is terribly underrated and probably unknown to a lot of people. But and like I hold him in the same regard very nearly as like a Sylvain Hood, mm-hmm. just in terms of distinction, but also his lunacy. Sylvain Hood, of course, being, for people that may not know, uh, hopefully we can educate, uh, the original vocalist for Cataclysm, um, and that's the Cataclysm era that Radical Research endorses that 1,000%. And, and does not endorse any other Cataclysm lineup at all. But yeah, Sylvain, Sylvain is an incredible vocalist, uh, a lot of personality, and Brahms brought a similar unhinged kind of personality to, to what he was doing. It's something that was almost kind of so absurd. It was transcendental. Uh, we'll get to him, but actually we're going to go back just a little bit 
and listen to when the band had Martin on vocals. Uh, we're going to listen to Afflicted Convulsion. This is the only con Afflicted Convulsion song we're going to play, and it's a song called Consumed in Flames. go kind of the best that afflicted convulsion never got and uh i think they were wise to drop the convulsion separate themselves from their demos and kind of move on i have to say though that's a pretty formidable song no wonder why it was included on uh the soundtrack for daniel eckeroth's uh indispensable oral history of swedish death metal called swedish death metal yeah <laughs> i've always loved the name of that book and compilations like why, yeah. why bother with anything fancy right? i mean seriously yeah <laughs> and I, and I, I think uh, Jeff shares my opinion that if uh, if you haven't picked that book up, uh, it's um, published by Bazillion Points, and it is well worth your time. Yeah, oh, totally mandatory. Totally mandatory. And there's a reason also why that song, Consumed in Flames, made the Afflicted album, and it was the only one from the Afflicted Convulsion era that did. It would come in a, a bit of a different form, and we're actually... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a bit more nuanced. And they demoed a song, uh, both as Afflicted Convulsion and on the early Afflicted demos, they demoed a song called Utilization that uh, never made the debut album. And there was another song on early Afflicted demos called The Root, also never made the debut album. Other than that, most of the songs that the band were demoing at that time, they just kept honing and honing from like 1990, 91, 92. They all eventually landed on the debut 1992 album. Let's check out a song from this era that didn't make it to the album. This comes from their first 7-inch. Uh, this was released on French label Thrash Records. Uh, this cool little single was recorded in late 1990 by Thomas Skogsberg in Sunlight Studio, uh, which they would utilize for the rest of their career, and featured two songs, The Empty Word and one we're going to listen to now called Viewing the Obscene. So obviously we are in very different territory already. Um, you can start to hear um, the emergence of the band's um, pretty peculiar approach to rhythm. The guitar vocabulary is expanded. Obviously, Brahms is uh, taking the helm as vocalist. You can hear the ferocity and the peculiarity and the, uh, the manicness of his vocals there. I, and um, and going back and listening to this, because I, I just have the seven inch, I don't spin it all that often. Um, I was thinking of what a huge influence uh, this song must have been on Seance uh, Salt Rubbed Eyes. 
Hmm. Um, okay. I can, I can yeah, see. Yeah. That like kind of concrete mixer guitar and bass sound. <laughs> uh, the drum tone is kind of similar, even though it, the Salt Rub Dies was not recorded at, uh, at Sunlight. Um, Do you mind if I uh, go off of Concrete Mixer for a second? That always reminded me of when Re Relapse would call uh, the Rotrevor 7-inch tractor pull. Oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but Cement yeah. Mixer is great, too. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, um, Jeff and I have kind of an intersecting narrative here. Um, imagine that. Um, but <laughs> um, in 2002... And Jeff and I both used to frequent Manifest Records in Charlotte. Um, but in 2002, um, someone deposited this really, really huge trove of records at Manifest. And Jeff went uh, one weekend and called me and said, you need to go. And I went the next weekend and actually picked up, in that hall, I picked up the ingrained 7-inch and the Wonderland 7-inch. By the way, did I mention that that was from the ingrained 7-inch? Did I mention the name? No, you didn't. Okay, yeah, the Thrash, the Thrash Record 7-inch was called Ingrained, so anyway. And, and you got the Rising to the Sun 7-inch at the same time, right? Uh, no, I, I think I had, I know I had Wanderland and Rising to the Sun uh, back in the day. It was, it was I, I bought Ingrained at Manifest as well. They had two. Okay, well, there you go. And that yeah. was the weird thing about that hall was like, I left so many records there for you, stuff either that I didn't want or had like already had. And, and we're yeah. talking just about 7-inches, right? I mean... Usually that's I, got the, um, I got the House of Usher on the Very Verge 7-inch there, too. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember getting, uh, I had not had Zisma's Fata Morgana 7-inch yet, so I got mm. that. I can't remember all that I got, but it was a lot. Oh, 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 the Mortem Slow Death 7-inch. Oh. The Pre-Arcturus thing. Crazy. Ooh, that is insane. And they had like, I, you know, they had price tags on these things of like, what, five, six bucks? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, man, I bought an original pressing of um, Primordial's uh, The Journey's End there for $4. Wow. So they were not pricing these things out. No, no. That was, that was kind of where vinyl sales, right. whether they were new, new pressings or like old stuff, were kind of at a low ebb. You know, they just didn't, people didn't know what they had. And I think nowadays it's going to be harder and harder to find those kind of gold mines. Those deals are not there anymore now. Yeah, but that was that was pretty magical. I'm glad you and you know you came right right in behind me and swept them up. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so we mentioned uh, the Wonderland seven inch that came from the Wonderland demo. Uh, these were two song. These were uh, four songs actually that they put onto a demo uh, recorded about a year after Ingrained in November '91. And then, you know, Relapse put a couple of those songs onto a 7-inch. And then the third and final 7-inch came out in 92, featuring Ivory Tower from the Wonderland demo. And then another, you know, yet another new recording, this one from April 92, Rising to the Sun, which served as the title track for this 7-inch. I love the cover of that 7-inch. Yeah, I do too. You know, and actually that kind of dovetails into their logo. They, they had this logo you know, the, the afflicted logo itself, but then they always had this kind of sun uh, with the, uh, the snake eating its tail motif, which we've right. seen before, but they kind of had their own design on it. And um, that appeared on most of their stuff. It appeared on Rising the Sun. It, it just had the sun, not the, not the snake, but, you know, the Wonderland thing had the snake. Their other records had that motif as well. They were really into the sun for whatever reason. Rising of the Sun, Prodigal Sun. Yeah, I like the sun. The sun's cool. I mean... <laughs> I, I understand it's very important to uh, to life. Apparently. In general. But <laughs> Photosynthesis and such. Yeah. So they, they had just been honing and honing material. Like if you count the afflicted convulsion stuff, it was just years and years of like honing stuff. And then just a month after they recorded the Rising to the Sun 7-inch, they entered Sunlight to craft their debut album. So They're like, we're not recording here because this is the crucible of Swedish death metal. It's just what we do. It's just the it's only what, Yeah, it's, it's sun. It's the yeah. only thing we know. Exactly. Sunlight. I didn't even think of that, dude. Yeah. Sun, sunlight, rising the sun, yeah. prodigal sun. Okay. Fantastic. Yo, sun, you got that. <laughs> so, Damn, uh, <laughs> it's the sun. <laughs> From May 25th to June 12th, they went in and this is the one. This is the monumental Swedish death metal album in our world, or one of them, and really wow. features some of the most amazing guitar work in this subgenre. Really crafty, inventive. You hit the nail on the head, man. The guitar work on this record is absolutely magical. Yeah, and it's, it's the ideas, it's the playing, it's the way it was recorded, I think. And it's the stuff that it's over. You know, it's the stuff that they're doing underneath as well, that the rest yeah. of the band is kind of, kind of vaulting them toward. Admittedly, some pretty chaotic song arrangements throughout. But I've always 
kind of liken this to almost an advantage. Right. Uh, kind of in the way that like sentence north from here is kind of chaotic, yeah. but you, that's sort of the vibe that you want anyway. And I, I think I kept thinking about north from here when I was listening to this, hmm. uh, it, like, and it's funny, like the, um, there's kind of an atheist thread in both of those. I mean, it's probably more pronounced on North from here. Oh, definitely. Definitely tell the Spanish listen to atheists. I, I mean, I guess you hear that a bit on the second uh, at the Gates record as well. Yep. Uh, Fear I kiss the burning darkness. Um, and, and there is, you know, atheists were so refined and, and so accomplished that the chaos factor wasn't uh, quite as apparent. Um, but you get that, like, t- it, it's like this, like the Scandinavian frenzy mixed with, you know, American technicality. Right. Um, it yep. just results in something pretty amazing. Yep. And as we've mentioned, and we'll continue to mention, uh, one of the greatest vocal performances ever in death metal, went, I think within and outside of Sweden. Oh, for sure. So let's, let's, start, let's start getting into it. The album opens with Prodigal Son. It's a short kind of intro piece. It's, it's a sitar, probably not a real one since Jesper is credited with, with synth guitars. And mm-hmm. I'm not hearing much synth guitar elsewhere on the album. So do you, do you think maybe this was like a kind of a synth guitar playing a sitar? Yeah, well, the, um, the 90s Roland guitar synths all had a sitar preset. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah, I usually find the sitar kind of a trite novel device in, in, in a lot of uh, metal bands' hands. It really kind of bothered me on, uh, um, oh, give me a minute, the Riot album, Sons of Society. Sorry. Oh, yeah, they, uh, don't they also open the album with that? Yeah, they open the album with, yeah, sitar, and it sounded really out of context. Yeah, I... It was I, called Snake Charmer, I believe, which is yes. even obvious. That's that's the only part of uh, that album I don't like. I, I think that's well, what I, I agree with you. Yeah, Riot albums, but yeah, you know, here it worked. I mean, because really, <laughs> if you're not George Harrison or the Beatles, it's just not a sound that personally I think works usually very well in right. a rock context. But here it gets a pass. It's it, it's it kind of seems to say like, "Welcome to psychedelia and transcendence afflicted style," right? <laughs> yeah. Because then they smash in with harboring the soul. Where do we begin, man? Go for it. I got I, I this this one leaves me speechless every time. I used to um, I used to hold this album in the regard that it's where they they really kind of begin on their strongest foot. Sure. Um, but I, I'm not so sure about that anymore. Um, the the older I get and the older this record gets, I think this record really kind of holds up the whole way through. But when you first hear this record, you would be forgiven for thinking that they like their opening gambit is maybe like the most profound thing on it because this is one hell of an opening song. Well, I've always, yeah. And I've always put it in the, in the trio of itself uh, in, in tombs, left-hand path song that opens that album. Yeah, right. And this members override the overture. I know we've had this conversation before. Yeah, we have. Those are three opening songs on Swedish death metal albums of this era that just absolutely define not only the era and the sound, but the album itself. Right. Um, they do seem to kind of like shoot themselves in the foot and, and blow their load and go out on a high note. But, um, you know, all those albums, of course, hold up all the way through as well. So, yeah, let's just get to it. This is probably the longest snippet we're going to play for the evening. Uh, this is a bit from Harboring the Soul. Listen and believe.
Yeah, that's how it ends. And <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole podcast on that song. I think there's so much incredible stuff going on there. One, one thing I want to mention before we get into the music, Hunter, is like, we don't quote lyrics a lot on this uh, podcast, but sometimes it's appropriate. And I think Afflicted being, you know, and I think it does a disservice to just merely call them Swedish death metal, but it, it obviously right. works as a basis. But, you know, their lyrics were just so far away from what most of those bands were doing. I mean, that... Way far away. Yeah, they're like whispering, come alive, come alive. That, that's in between um, stanzas like, won't you make me see, arouse me, show me on my way, come alive to it and seize the day. I mean, that's like, this is, it's, it's positive. It's like a spiritualism to it, yeah. A, there, there's a transcendent element to it. Yeah, man. I mean, I'd be surprised if a couple of these guys weren't like deeply into yoga. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know? They know they, they, yeah, they know what a shavasana is. Yeah, ex exactly. Right. I mean, like, God, everything else, the flanged base of... There is so much information to process in that one little clip. Let's talk about the base, the, that, the flanged yeah, I mean, base. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where you, I mean, this is where you really hear all the psychedelic influences that are... Um, sort of signified on the back cover of the album in that photo, that amazing photo that rivals like disharmonic orchestra for band photos uh, with, with tie dye. These guys are wearing, yeah, like Hunter said, tie dye. Carlson is especially resplendent in the tie dye. He's, kneel <laughs> yeah, indeed. he's kneeling at the forefront. He's flashing a peace sign with his right hand and on his left knee with his left hand, he's holding what looks like a bell pepper. Okay. <laughs> On on uh, behind him, we have uh, Von Segabot and the bassist, who you heard playing that awesome wah wah bass. He's like in this like tinfoil sun outfit, and and he's like tanning himself. I believe so. He's trying yeah. hard, but he looks as white as can be. I mean, like <laughs> it's a short summer in Sweden, man. <laughs> uh, Thorson is on the left, uh, wielding what I I think looks like a crowbar. Yeah, you know, it's a crowbar. But he's, but he's got kind of this paisley sort of like shirt on, so he's not looking that And new. kind of a smirk too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hilborg, the drummer in the back, is just not impressed with any of this. He's just sort of, oh, I got to show up. I got to wake Typical up. Typical photo. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the, here, all of that is fantastic though, but here's the best part of the picture. Brahms, the vocalist, is on the right. He's, around his neck, he's got like this long string that on the end of it is like a, like a, a finger drum, some kind of hand drum. Do you see this? Yes. Yeah. What is that? You're the you're a drummer. It's yeah. It's some sort of like yeah finger drum. I think would be an accurate way to describe. Okay. He's wearing a real nice sweater that I wish I could have for these cold months coming up. And then um, he's holding out what kind of looks like a salt shaker, but I always took to be like it's a pill like, bottle. It's a pill bottle, and he's yeah. it's like Brahms saying like take the dose, take right. take Come this on. dose. And then we have like one of the best like band photos ever. <laughs> yeah, it is really. There's also like a rock element that is introduced here that's really kind of a little ahead of its time, you know, like at least some months ahead of Wolverine Blues. It kind of like, and, and two, I've always, I mean, not that they sound alike, but like in, in spirit, uh, like I've always kind of like tied together like this band and Furball and Carbonized as like these bands that are in Swedish death metal, but also outside of the parameters of Swedish death metal. Oh yeah. I, I think Furball is a good call. And I think, and they, and they took, you know, their second album was an early death and roll album or whatever the hell. I, I, I don't like that term, but that's what it is. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Right. Um, and carbonized. Yeah. In fact, when we were getting ready for this episode, a, lo a lot of my listening to afflicted, I think I've heard carbonized parallels before, but never so much as I did this time. Maybe it was because we kind of recently did a carbonized. Yeah, show. probably. I don't know. But yeah, I think spiritually, those, those, these two bands are very united. And, you know, yeah, the, the guitar work, you know, very kind of rocky, the sort of, you know, the kind of just rock bends, um, some of that Ace Fraley sort of vibe going on and just kind of having fun with it. But it's still, in the whole song, it's just noisy as hell. That, that crescendo toward the end yeah. is so noisy. Yet they remain one of the most melodic of the, of the brutal death metal bands from Sweden. I mean, it just, you know they're giving you everything on harboring the soul. And then we have the vocals. I mean, these are like, this guy is so anguished and unhappy. His, his palate is so wide. Yeah. 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 He, this, and, th and what's sad about this guy, and we're going to hear a lot more of him as we, as we move on here, 
he wasn't in that many bands. He was briefly in that band Abhoth uh, before Afflicted. And then he, I don't know if you knew this, Hunter, but he had a cup of coffee with Necrophobic. I mean, was in the band for a very short time. I, I, I didn't. I, I don't Necrophobic. think he recorded anything with them. And that's the sad part, you know, is that yeah. he's just underutilized and I don't know where he is. He's, again, another Sylvain Hood parallel, perhaps. Uh, but this is the album he'll be remembered for, and he should be absolutely lionized for it. And I guess we're going to try to do a good job of that tonight. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and I don't want to overstate things, but really, like, you know, I can't think of a more convincing and memorable vocalist than all of Swedish death metal, except maybe uh, Orvar Sofstrom from... Oh, man, Nirvana 2002, yeah. Yeah, that guy was amazing, and he was briefly with Entombed, and of course he was on the, the Crawl EP, and a guy that I wish had done a full-length album. I wish he was on Clandestine so bad. That, that's a great what if. Yeah, it would. I mean, I love Clandestine to death, but yeah, if he were on that, it would be unreal. And he was, he was in the band close to it. And I just, I just always so wish um, he could have been. But anyway, yeah, Brahms. Let's get back into another song. The, you know, the Afflicted's kind of signature kaleidoscopic, phantasmagoric horror and escape. This is uh, years to come. We'll talk about it after we listen a little bit. I was thinking about while we listen to that, what you're saying about the kind of rock and rolly sort of elements here. Mm-hmm. I, I've always wondered if, and maybe this is premature to mention because we haven't gotten to this, the very different second album yet, but I always felt there was a gap between Prodigal Son and then their second album, which was very different. And I always thought that if they had had an album between those two things, it would have been our, a death and roll album because the timing would have been perfect. It would have been like 93, 94. Yeah. And and you, you can just hear it. You can hear it in a lot of their stuff. Not everything we're going to listen to, but even in that song, you hear just a little bit of that vibe. I don't know what, if that would have been a good album, but uh, it, it just does seem that that's where they would have gone. I think it would have been a pretty convincing album, actually. Uh, doing this podcast, there's more what-if moments that I'm just getting really frustrated by. I think that that's symptomatic of any band that basically has one kind of singular album. I mean, obviously they have two albums, but the other album is so starkly different. Yeah. And this is the only death metal album they made. I feel like that always sort of leads to conjecture. Like, oh man, if they'd only stuck around another couple of years, because I mean, in the nineties, the cultural and generic shifts were so, so uh, accelerated that, you know, the, what a band would have done in 92 or 93 was completely different from what a band would have done in 1995. Oh yeah. Um, And I think, I I think that's kind of, that's not a thing anymore. I think it's been halted quite a bit. uh, Yeah. The, the, the progressive leaps that bands will make. Cause if you look, you can even look back to the sixties, seventies and eighties, you know, like look at, look at Voivod's roar and then look at in 86 
and then look at Voivod's Angel Rat in 91. Five years separate those things. Who is who yeah, I mean, look at, yeah, look at um, I mean, King Crimson, you know, from the Court of the Crimson King, '69 <laughs> to Red in '74. I mean, that did, you know, that's a, a, a seismic shift. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it does beg the questions of like, gee, what what would Afflicted have done not only between these two albums, but after after the the Dawn of Glory album? Then again, sometimes bands hit walls, but let, uh, let's keep going toward that wall because I think they kind of hit it. Um, <laughs> uh, we got a couple songs next um, that we're not going to listen to. They are Tidings from the Blue Sphere and The Empty Word. They're great. Just kind of keep the album pummeling along. But they kind of just show that like this band, for all the kind of like subtleties and nuances we're talking about, they were also one of the most intense amongst all the variety and unpredictability and tempo variation. They were really, really intense. Uh, and I think Tidings and Empty Word kind of show that do you have this prodigal son album on cd or vinyl cd or both cd the cd okay that's good because i first had it on vinyl and then i shortly after that i got it on cd as well because i knew i loved it as much that much where i wanted like both formats uh, <laughs> i have that weird sickness but um i'm talking about the end of a stray which segues into rising to the sun they're separated on the original vinyl version because a stray ends side one Whereas on the CD, they seem like joined kind of Siamese twins because um, Astray kind of fades out. We're going to listen to it this way as well, but Astray kind of fades out and just morphs, mutates right into the beginning of uh, Rising, which that beginning of Rising always reminds me of Semaine's Misery Tomb. Moaning, groaning, <laughs> crying, cavernous thing. Agonizing, yeah. Yeah. So let's listen to both in sequence. The final moments of Astray, uh, into the deeper madness of rising to the sun.
I'm really bummed that I can't recall exactly what that um, guitar opening reminds me of. In Rising um, or Astray? In Rising. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. When that came on, I was like, what is it, that? It sounds, some, some later Northern European band pretty much stole that. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if any listeners are uh, astute enough to check that out and, and get back to us about it, that would be awesome. Please, we're, yeah, we're, we're train spotters and we love train spotters. Um, we'll send you a can of Evil Twin Westbrook Brewings OFYMD, Russian Imperial Stout, if, if you're right. The sponsors of this show. <laughs> we wish. We wish. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, obviously rising to the sun gets kind of wild. I mean... Well, it does. Um, and I, I love like how I love the transition of it. I love how it, it goes from the sort of like, you know, atmospheric meditative place and, you know, with the, especially with the intro and then yeah. it gets back into that like psychedelic, like rocking. It kind of, you know, anticipates the, the tides of, of Finland later in the nineties. Mm, mm. uh, yeah. Um, because you know, you know, a lot of the Finnish bands started out playing really, really dark death metal or grind, and sort of discovered or you know finally indulged in the you know, the, the plenty of the '70s and uh, and adopted that kind of rocking um, style of Zisma and Pecani and uh, Disgrace, Paroxysm, kind of goes on and on. Right, and I and I think all that stuff to some degree or another always carried kind of a psychedelic element to it because I mean sure. psychedelia it doesn't mean just like you know, Paisley Prince and early Pink Floyd. It's something more, um, it's, it, it is more about transcendence and kaleidoscopic visions and all this stuff. And I think like, I think, you know, this kind of metal at its deepest and darkest and most extreme can really kind of get there too. Uh, puts you in that kind of meditative place. Another thing about Rising the Sun that I think is really interesting is I was taking a look at the lyrics and I kind of noticed that there, some of the words are in that Icelandic or Old Norse tongue. And with the subject matter of the song itself, it kind of ranks up there with early so-called Viking metal. Sure. So another sort of notch on the bullet belt of Afflicted there. Um, you know, because right now, at this point in the album, we're, and we're in the middle, you know, they're tossing history and mysticism and mythology and obscenely heavy psychedelia into like the whole pot. And how can we not love that? <laughs> right. <laughs> you see that on paper, that's a blind buy. Exactly, right. Yeah. We're going to move on to Spirit Spectrum. And speaking of lyrics, I really like these from Spirit Spectrum. Holographic, schematic, molecular, reversal, transmutation, acceleration, access, access, access to myself. <laughs> that sounds kind of tech metalish. Uh, it sounds kind of voivodish too. Voivodish, watchtowerish. Yeah. I'm really glad that, that you um, mentioned all the lyrics on this. I, I was actually sort of want to do the same and, and hesitated because rarely do you and I care much about lyrics um, because I mean, rarely are they all that noteworthy. Um, you know, but, we say that and it's true, but I, I guess, um, I guess if I look at say the spectrum of what you and I like and you know, it doesn't just have to be metal. It's all the other stuff. There's a ton of great lyrics in there. I just feel like it's not, it's never a make or break for you or I. No, it's not. They're bad. If the music's great, it works. If they're great uh, and the music's bad, I don't give a shit. I don't want it. And I, and I think that's a, that's a thing. They're, they're, they're never like the, the, the selling point, right? And never. I mean, whoever came to you and was like, dude, dude, the lyrics on this album. <laughs> you know, like it, 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 I'll be like, I have lots of books. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I want to hear music. <laughs> yeah, okay. What can we say? Let's listen to uh, Spirit Spectrum a little bit. This song, they're just obviously so intent at continuing to deliver throttling transcendental metal.
Yeah. If you're not running out and getting a copy of this, if you don't already have it, I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the, um, the inclusion of the D beat on this album too, which ties it to some of the more primitive Swedish death metal. Mm. Um, you hear that in Carnage and Dismember and Entombed. Obviously, there's a huge, astute observation. Yeah, there's a huge um, hardcore influence in Swedish death metal as well. Sure. Um, but I love that Afflicted goes so far on the other end of the spectrum, but they've still got those, you know, those little, you know, DNA tie-ins there. And also, I um, listeners, you no longer have to participate in the challenge because I cracked it. Um, <laughs> that one bit that um, that we heard in Rising um, is actually um, it reminds me of a little guitar bit on um, Solifold's Neonism. Oh wow! Okay, I, I think I was thinking of something different. So if I come up with that at some point, <laughs> or is it linear scaffold? Ooh, I, in, it might be know, linear scaffold. I'll tell you that's that's going to be Radical Research 17.5. We need to do one of those again. <laughs> okay. So you you figure it out, <laughs> and we'll talk for three minutes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and record it for all the Solofold maniacs out there. Speaking yeah. of Solofold, might be a good time to mention that we're uh, soon going to run Hunter's little, um, well, maybe maybe you should talk about it. I, I think you kind of know the piece better than I do at this point. Yeah, we're, we're going to start um, integrating a blog component to, um, to our overall project. It, it seemed fitting because this project actually started um, as a book idea. And um, we're going to just publish a series of essays. At, for the meantime, on avant-garde Norwegian uh, metal albums, um, we will very likely branch off from that at some point, but that's going to be the, the, sort of the starting point. And um, the first one will be uh, an essay that I've written on, on Solifold's second album, Neonism, which I think is a really, really interesting piece of music, interesting piece of art. It's a lot to think about. Um, a lot of ideas in it um, that lend themselves to uh, philosophy, art, fashion, popular culture, uh, black metal, uh, heavy metal. A anyway, this is a lot of grist for the mill in uh, neonism and so it seemed like a pretty fertile place to start anyway we'll be rolling that out pretty shortly yeah well, I'll let, we'll let everybody know through the usual channels and that, that that's another example of where lyrics are actually quite important to the, the there is uh, yeah no and in, in fact it leans almost as heavily on the lyrics as it does the music yeah there you go so we, we probably shouldn't discount lyrics entirely i, I know we're, we're want to do that but um, i'm a walking contradiction by the way <laughs> um <laughs> after spirit spectrum we get the doom watchers prediction a short little piece of uh just kind of some churning hypnosis has some narration over it you can pretty much tell what it's about from the title doom watchers prediction and the album winds down or i should say completely winds up it winds itself up with consumed in flames and ivory tower we're going to check out bits of them back to back and get a feel for how the album ends you might remember we played consumed in flames by afflicted convulsion and we're going to play a different completely different part of that song from prodigal son and we hear brahms <laughs> getting a bit loose here i don't know if you've noticed this in the lyric sheet hunter but um he does his version of lee dorian here the lyrics are really <laughs> kind of cool I don't know if they're based on like some kind of horror novel or something, but um, he has this moment where he's like, yeah, baby. All right. Come on. <laughs> um, Ooh. Yeah. But in the conflict, yeah. in the context right. of afflicted it, it, and, right. and their madness, it just, it doesn't come off like that sort of novel Lee Dorian sort of thing. Yeah. Huggy bear. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, we are going to listen to that part and then we're going to get right into ivory tower uh, which ends the album. We're going to listen to how the album ends. This is the last like minute and a half or two minutes of it. Lyrically, this is a bit of an atheist anthem. So they're kind of mixing their own uh, spiritualities with, with atheism. We'll listen to how it ends. I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of wanting to quote TNT here, get down and pray, raise and obey. Is that a problem? <laughs> well, let's do it. Let's do it.
Yeah, wow. I, I think the ending and Ivory Tower in general is kind of a reason why Harboring the Soul maybe doesn't sort of go out on the highest note on the album. I think they, I think they really do think about sequencing on this album, and I think that's probably one of the, one of the major highlights of this album. Because Ivory Tower, there's so many moments, almost as much as Harboring the Soul. I agree. And I think it's an incredibly conscious move, really. Yeah, everybody's giving, especially, you know, even Yasin Hilborg is doing some amazing stuff there. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, the, the reverb on the lead guitars is almost, it's a very 90s thing, but it almost seems proprietary to sunlight because you hear the same like atmospheric reverb on Tales from the Thousand Lakes. Mm. But yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think you can say enough about either of those songs. And I really think that you like as, as disparate as this album is to the next album, like I think you hear like kind of the seeds of that epic metal in the end of Ivory Tower. I had that thought, like just as we're listening now. Right. Well, there it is. There's the Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so the the tendency was already there. Oh, sure. I mean, sure. You know, I mean, of course, these guys grew up listening to classic metal and Man of War and whatnot, you know, and, and this is... This is them ending their death metal journey, basically. Uh, before we get into that, I, I, <laughs> I was looking at the liner notes of the album, and I, I don't think I ever noticed this before, but as we were getting ready for this episode, I noticed that it credits six people with the logo design. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool logo, and I always liked it because it's a bit different than the usual yeah. Swedish death metal thing. You know, I mean, anybody that looks at it, we'll, we'll be posting it, you know, as we post this episode, but... You know, it's it's fitting for the band because it's different, but six people? Yeah, I don't think that it, yeah. I don't think that it would take six people to cooperate. To I mean, maybe they're talking about the sun and then the added snake eating itself thing. Maybe. Uh, maybe like, yeah, they assigned every person a duty. Well, it was like, it was a few. You take the first syllable, you get the snake, you get, you know, the corona. <laughs> you get the Fs. <laughs> <laughs> the importance of the Fs cannot be overstated. <laughs> it's funny because it's not it's not all the band members it's like two or three band members and like other people outside of the band like they really worked hard on this logo but you know we're talking about it a lot we talked about it at the beginning of the show it is very different so okay if that's what it takes you know so things went quietly shortly after the prodigal son came out very sadly they said goodbye to Joachim Brahms the four other guys remained uh they apparently made a very conscious decision to delve deeply and fully into their love of omen and manowar and just epic metal or power metal in general right. traditional heavy metal and then they emerged with this new vocalist michael vandergraff generator i wish he would have stayed in the quiet zone <laughs> well he prefers the still life <laughs> okay obviously we don't love this guy but i think he had a tough job he was coming in replacing one of the best death metal vocalists of all time and he's singing melodic power metal stuff. And I think it's one of those things, too, where if you're not Eric Adams or you're not Rob Halford or even Daniel Hyman to talk about Swedes, right? Sure. And I just don't think he was that great. And I he think wasn't. you have and to be great to sing this sort of stuff. You, well, you absolutely do. And this was a weird time. I mean, obviously, like... You know, I mean, Germany had sort of a sustained melodic metal tradition, but like this is a weird time to be mm -hmm. playing power metal. I mean, the first um, Nocturnal Rights album came out around this time, you know, mostly ignored. But like this Great is album. like, yeah, but this is like, you know, pre Hammerfall, like power metal was not an in vogue or fashionable thing to be doing at this time. I mean, this is like, like really heavy epic metal. Its roots are in traditional metal. And I mean, there were a lot of bands exploring this kind of territory in 1995. Yeah, but there was something happening in Sweden because you brought up Nocturnal Rights and they started as a death metal band in their demo and then really found themselves with, you know, the, the, the just traditional heavy metal they were doing. You know, Hammerfall actually had roots in, in Flames and Dark Tranquility and in a pre-Lost Horizon band called Highlander. Ceremonial Oath. E exactly. So, uh, and then we had Lost Horizon later. So there was st something started happening in Sweden and I've always wondered like what, what that was all about. But I kind of feel like it's two things. It's one, death metal was kind of hitting a wall. Thrash metal certainly had reached, it, reached an apex at that point. Black metal just was always on the outer fringes and didn't appeal to everybody at that time. 
And I think there was just a inclination to go back to your Ozzy Osbourne albums or your Manowar albums and even the Omen albums and the man and, and stuff like that. I don't know. Apparently bands were doing it because it became a thing. You know, suddenly after Hammerfall got popular, man, the floodgates opened. Oh, for sure. For better or worse. Mostly worse. Mostly worse. <laughs> and we love that stuff. We love a lot of that stuff. You know, if we're talking about Omen or early Manowar, but um, Afflicted caught that bug. So they went back into sunlight with Scottsburg uh, to record their second album. Dawn of Glory emerged in 95, didn't get a lot of love, ended up on uh, Massacre Records. Like, I'll actually be happy to admit that I didn't know this record even existed until 2001. I don't think a lot of people did. It, yeah. it just went way under the radar. I mean, for one, it didn't catch the uh, Hammerfall wave because there wasn't a Hammerfall wave yet. Right. That was two years later. And who knows if it would have done that even so, because I think there was a different expectation on what Afflicted was. They featured the Sun logo, but they didn't feature the the lettered logo. And right. it was kind of a shoddy album cover. It just it, And you look at the back cover, and we have quite a contrast from their first oh, man. album's promo photo. I mean, and I think Carlson defines it completely. Like, he's dropped the tie-dye, he's dropped the green pepper, or the yellow pepper, now we have, you know, him in, in a big old bullet belt or some kind of studded belt and the gauntlet. They're all, it's all, it's black and white and it's all black and white. Yeah, they're just. If they were in color, it would be black and white. They're just, we're going to pare down to the most, I don't want to say common denominator, but certainly the, the root of. I have to say though, it's, it's actually kind of convincing. Like I buy it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like an affectation to me. Like they look like a metal band well no that and that's and that's really important to talk about before we listen because i don't think either one of us loves this album i don't think they totally succeeded no. where they were going but i think yeah as you say i think this was genuine and i think it was there was no sellout it was just simply what they wanted to do and what they were feeling in their hearts there's no doubt about that right you know, and everything's cyclic. So, and I think this is what happened there. Let's also think about alternative rock. You know, this was happening big time in 94, 95. And I think bands wanted to be the absolute antithesis of that. And there's nothing more antithetical to alternative rock than true traditional heavy metal. No. So I think, I think you know, Afflicted were buying right into all that. And here we go. One thing about this album, before we listen, they still have that signature guitar sound. that's completely unmistakable right oh absolutely yeah well i think that's one of the really interesting things about this is that like the the linkage between the two eras like that they went back into sunlight with scogsburg sure um, and yep. so you get uh you get a ferocity and a kind of visceral quality that would be missing from uh this album say it were recorded by a different band in 1999 yeah let's listen to uh the second song dawn of glory well i don't think a lot of this album succeeds but i i've always really loved the chorus of this one especially yeah so let's check it out this is dawn of glory that's always been a highlight of the album the, the, especially the, the chorus what about you if the vocals hadn't come in i would actually think that i was listening to another swedish death metal record mm, okay you know, I mean, that guitar tone is so emblematic it, and it's way more aggressive than what we consider uh, you know mid-90s power metal or heavy metal. oh yeah absolutely yeah. um no it has a it has a like a toughness to it that's like almost kind of american you know, I mean, because like, when you say American metal, like in, in a traditional context, I mean, you tend to think of like meatier, tougher, 
Armin um, Saint. Yeah, yeah. Man I mean, Armin Saint, Omen, yeah, Omen, Man of War. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, fair it's enough. Different thing. I don't think Vandergraaf is terrible. I just, uh, like I said before, I think, you know, in this kind of metal, you better be a god or you're just going to sink. And, he, he, you know, he, he had a really tough job stepping in, that's for sure. We're going to listen to one more bit from the Dawn of Glory album. This is a, a bit that has some pretty great guitar. And we're just trying to highlight what we think are kind of the, the peaks of the album because there's a lot of stuff that just sort of kind of falls flat, really. Um, yeah, I, I can't endorse this record. Yeah. Uh, this is I Am Vengeance, and this is, this is a pretty cool moment. Jeff, I tell you like what this reminds me of, like the interplay between the drums and the bass, the, the presence of the bass and sort of the lyricism, the guitar work um, is uh, Sacred Right. Um, oh, wow. Yep. Sacred Right, not Reich. Um, <laughs> Let, let's please make the distinction. I'm not yeah, a big fan yeah, of the Arizona band. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Hawaii band. Yeah. The unimpeachable Hawaiian band, or as, or as my grandmother would have said, Hawaiian band. <laughs> Southerners Seriously. trying to pronounce Hawaii, you know. I, I want to go to Hawaii. 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 Hana. But yeah, I mean, really though, like, I mean, that's a that's a really great moment on that record. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that we're comparing it to Sacred Right says a lot. Sure. And you know, these guys are these guys are probably diehards. They probably knew all about the first Sacred Right album. Sure. You know, such sure. a classic, hundred percent are right there. That's it. Michael Vandergraaf ended up singing on only one other album. It was by Defender, their nineteen ninety-nine album that came over the high pass. And that's an afflicted thing. It was uh basically a glorified solo project by afflicted bassist Philip von Segabot. Did you ever hear that thing? No. Necropolis Records put it out. And by 99, you're like, oh, Necropolis could probably get away with that because true heavy metal was kind of back in vogue in a way. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, they put out Witchery. Yeah, yeah. And I I feel the same way about the Defender album as I do Dawn of Glory. Just, you know, good moments, but not super enthused, I guess. We haven't mentioned this yet, but Joachim Carlson, uh, you know, the main guitarist, the tie-dye guy, <laughs> was and always has been a major part of general surgery. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of wild. These, yeah. these are really the only two bands he's, he's been a major part of. Yeah. Um, most of the other guys didn't really do much afterward, at least not on the level of a prodigal son. I did have a little bit of communication with Jesper Thorsen um, in early 2000s. He was at some Swedish distributor... I was a buyer for um, CM Distro at the time, you know, bringing in metal imports and stuff. And uh, when I when I saw his email, I was like, "Oh my God, Jesper Thorsen, Sweden! This must be the guy from Afflicted." <laughs> I, I attacked him completely. I said, "Dude, are you the guy from Afflicted?" He's like, "Yeah." I'm like, oh, "I love, love, love Prago Son. I'm such a fan." 
he seemed just really kind of reticent about the whole thing. <laughs> no, you're not. I just, he was just kind of, yeah, I did that, you know, and, and he hasn't appeared in other bands since, which kind of just makes me wonder, hopefully he just went back to being a fan. Yeah. I think that's the more, yeah. most important thing is, you know, being a listener and a fan first, right? Um, oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think so. Didn't continue his musicianship on any kind of major level that we know about. So that's kind of interesting, but thus ends the afflicted story. What a story. It's a short one. It is. They had a very short career. They did. did. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we don't, if we count afflicted convulsion, it was seven years from formation to completion. And that's not seven years, you know, I mean. Seven years from like going, like playing aimless death grind to playing kind of hard nosed traditional metal, a quick evolution too. But yeah, I, I hope that we sell a few copies of prodigal son from this this podcast. You know, and I don't want to, I'm not like flying our own flag here, but I want to say that apparently people do buy stuff from listening to this program because we got that great picture from Jim Raji who went out and bought a bunch of um, Italian Prague and some carbonized and some other people have told me they've, they bought Pantimonium albums. Thanks to this podcast. Well, so I mean, like, that's all that are matters we, to us. Yeah. I mean, what are we, if, if not an evangelical platform? Absolutely. No, I mean, I mean like, all you're doing is like, we're, you know, we're just preaching the gospel of the music that we love the most. If we can get bands like this into people's DNA in 2018, then I'm, I, I think, I think that's mission accomplished. I agree. Thanks for listening freaks. And we hope you get to listening to music again soon. As ever, you can write us at radical research podcast at gmail.com. And you can use that same email address as a PayPal idea. If you feel like a monetary contribution is in order, this podcast does take money to produce and a hell of a lot of time act wisely. Our next episode will be our first ever to feature just one song. It's just a single song. However, as you'll hear, it was a song that grew into something quite a bit more monstrous than just being a little tune. So for our 18th episode, we'll be focusing on Grabschnitt. They were a 70s era German prog band who, while not maybe being quite top tier, they were pretty amazing in their finest moments. I think Hunter will agree with that. I would. That especially in regard to this one piece. Oh, yeah. And many agree that a lot of these finer moments in their discography came in the form of the gargantuan song solar music uh this was a piece of music that started as just kind of a mere long song in their debut album called sun trip and it grew into a completely bewildering monster of a performance (laughs) art piece uh so please join us next time peace out (laughs) 